Welcome to the Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Bethay, coming to you today from the 501st Memorial Studio. We're here to talk to you about some college football. If you're new to the show, please be sure to subscribe on any major podcasting platform. You can also follow us on social media, Twitter and Facebook, and also email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. So we're here with the big story of the week in this area being the decision of UJ quarterback Jamie Newman to opt out of the season. As we've detailed a lot in this podcast, Newman was a very highly touted transfer from Wake Forest, a redshirt senior who has a ton of potential and had a really rapid ascension in the college football ranks in his one year as a starter last year for Wake Forest, putting up some pretty good numbers uh, for the majority of the season and impressing people with his size, athleticism, and arm strength. And he chose this week to opt out because of what he said was COVID-19 concerns. And we're going to take a few minutes to talk about that and the fallout for UJ, what it means for his successor, and what it means for UGA's ceiling as a football team. So the first and most obvious question concerning the Jamie Newman decision to opt out was just the why. And and for me specifically, it was the why now, because saying that it was COVID-19 concerns is something that we've heard from several other players, but the timing of it was curious to me. UJ plays their first game in roughly three weeks, and so Newman, who has a chance to play on a high-profile national title contender with an NFL offense coordinator chooses to opt out three weeks before the first game. I just, it, I'm not one to call people liars, but it at least smells funny to me. And it's interesting because Newman is not one of those people that's a Jamar Chase where he's a lock to be a top 10 pick in Jamar Chase's case, you know, top five pick. Newman's not even universally considered a first-round draft pick. I mean, uh, Todd McShay has him mocked as the sixth quarterback, number 81 overall. Draft Network has him as the fifth quarterback, number 91 overall. CBS Sports has him as the number three quarterback prospect. And Pro Football Focus has him as the number five quarterback prospect and 50th overall. So you pretty much universally have people that, you know, are pretty reputable considering Newman to be a second or third round pick. And having watched a good bit of him, there is no way, no matter what he did this year, um, and let me, you know, barring a Joe Burrow type year, that he was going to go ahead of Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance, who are pretty much universally the top three. Now, he could have ascended past other prospects like Sam Ellinger, uh, Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond, whoever you like in that next tier of quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is another one. He had a chance to ascend past them to be maybe the fourth quarterback taken in this draft. But you have to understand that being the fourth quarterback taken in the draft puts you squarely in the second round, and in some years, the third round. So he stood to gain a lot in the draft projections, as you know, as, as far as maybe even moving up a round or two, if you thought he was a fourth-round pick, maybe moving up to the second round by playing this year. So again, it begs the question, if you have the chance to move up in the draft, get good film with a, a talented team, a team that is immensely more talented than what he had at Wake Forest, with an NFL offensive coordinator if you had a chance to do these things, why are you opting out three weeks before the season? So I have some theories and I have some thoughts. And I've done a lot of research, talked to some people that follow UJ more closely on a day-to-day basis than I do. Um, people that read the insider notes and 
they've given me some insight. I'm trying to piece this together, and best I can tell, this is my theory. Um, so one of the things we do know is that Newman suffered a foot injury back in August, and when he got hurt, that meant that the reps for the first team were going to JT Daniels and Dewan Mathis. Uh, Daniels being a redshirt sophomore, uh, Mathis being a redshirt freshman, both highly touted recruits. Daniels a five-star and Mathis a four-star. Uh, Mathis obviously missing last year due to brain surgery, and Daniels missing uh, his redshirt, his true sophomore year at USC with a torn ACL. So neither of them played football last year. But those two apparently did very, very well in uh, Newman's absence to the point where when he came back from his foot injury, they were reportedly still splitting first-team reps. So you had another spark with another you had another case of Kirby Smart being Kirby Smart and basically refusing to name any quarterback as a starter. So what I wonder is if, and this is just an if, the Newman camp got a little nervous. You know, you're three weeks before what's his senior season, his last chance to really improve his draft stock, and he hasn't been named a starter. He's splitting reps with two extremely talented uh, underclassmen quarterbacks who are good enough to take the spot. Um and Kirby hasn't given him the assurance that he's going to be the starter. And you have to think if you're Newman and you're in our quarterback rotation, yeah, that could hurt your draft stock. You could move from the fourth quarterback to the seventh or eighth quarterback, and you're talking about then going from second-round money and probably a guaranteed roster spot to fourth or fifth-round selection where you're not a guaranteed roster invitee and your position is a lot more tenuous. So I don't know that's the case. But the idea of opting out because of COVID concerns, which I do believe is valid, but the idea of doing that three weeks before the start of the first game just seems very odd to me. You had other people that have chosen to do this, and people like Jamar Chase. They're opting out six and seven weeks before the season starts. Three weeks before, when you've been in fall practice for a month already, or several weeks already, it it just doesn't add up to me. So... Personally, I'm very disappointed with the news. I think a lot of Jamie Newman, I was a fan of his game. I enjoyed watching him. So personally, as somebody that's a UGA alum and a UGA fan, and I'm pretty clear about that in this podcast, I'm disappointed. But this leads to the second question, which is, who's up? So first, we'll start with the case for JT Daniels, who is the next most experienced quarterback left on the UGA roster. So the case for Daniels is that he's extremely experienced in the RPO game. He played his entire freshman year at UG, uh, his entire freshman year at USC as a starter. He played one game last year before tearing his ACL, and he is experienced in the RPO game. He's a very quick decision maker. He's very accurate with the football. Um, he has a higher floor than a Dwan Mathis, uh, but he does have a much much lower ceiling. So in saying that, there's basically zero or close to zero chances of JT Daniels going out there and just absolutely sucking. Uh, the chances of him being at least average and passable, extremely high. And there's honestly a pretty reasonable expectation of him being better than average considering his profile and how good he looked as a freshman. And again, remember that his freshman year at UG- USC, I keep wanting to say UGA, his freshman year at USC was actually supposed to be his senior year of high school because he graduated early. So he's out there as a 17, 8-year-old playing against grown men in the Pac-12 looking passable, not good, but passable. So you have to imagine, this guy's had two more years to mature physically and to learn more of the game. So you can expect, you would expect fairly exponential growth from him, but again, that's not a guarantee. Now the concerns with JT Daniels would be durability and arm strength because as I said in my profile of him earlier this summer, the one thing he lacks is arm strength. And when his feet are not set, he looks not just average, but actually 
pretty below average with his arm strength. So, so that's one of the concerns you would have with JT Daniels that you wouldn't have with with DeJuan Mathers or even a Carson Beck, who I don't think is in the discussion to start, but is at least another option that is on campus. So then there's the case for DeJuan Mathis, who probably has the highest ceiling of the quarterbacks remaining on the roster. Mathis stands somewhere around 6'5", 6'6". He has a track background in high school. He's wasn't known for his running coming out of high school, but when you consider his mixture of arm strength, size, and athleticism, he presents the highest ceiling on the roster. Um, and his skill set is more of an overlap with Jamie Newman. While Jamie Newman wasn't a speedster, he was an athletic running quarterback, and you would you would be able to keep a lot of your quarterback run game in with Dewan Mathis. Now, I don't know that you'd be running quarterback power or quarterback p- counter with him like you would with Jamie Newman, and he's not going to be running over linebackers. But a lot of the spread concepts, zone read, uh, speed option, those kind of things are things that you could still do with Dewan Mathis as, as well as move him around. But the big concern with him would just be lack of experience. And Mathis came from a background in high school. He was known as a good passer. He wasn't just an athlete back there running around. He was a passer. But obviously in high school, he's doing a lot of throwing 40 or 50-yard vertical routes to guys that are wide open and not doing some of the advanced reads that you saw guys like JT Daniels doing in high school. So one of the concerns of being processing and also just experience because he lost an entire year of practice reps after the brain surgery. And while JT Daniels also lost a year with his ACL injury, he has an entire season of Pac-12 football underneath him. So with Dewan Mathis, he has not played full-speed college football at all, and he'll be thrown in as your starter without even having played any any mop-up duty. So like I said, his talent level is extremely high. Uh, the rumors were that he had shown the best arm on the roster, even better than Jamie Newman's, and we know that he's the fastest of the quarterbacks, and he has all the tools but you just have to wonder how much of an adjustment is it going to be for a guy that has never taken a snap in a real college football game to step in at the reins of a national championship contender and try to steer them to the promised land. Well, you know, we saw Jake Fromm almost do it as a freshman, and this guy's way more talented than him. So it is possible. And one of the other things that gives you hope if you're a UGA fan is that uh, Dewan Mathis supposedly has been one of the best quarterbacks at grasping the new playbook and what – the concepts are that Todd Munkin is trying to install. So apparently Mathis and Beck were the two best at kind of processing and adapting what they're what he's putting down. So if those rumors are true, you got to be excited about the potential that Mathis offers. The last question is, does the departure of Jamie Newman change the projections for UJ season? It's hard to say that the loss of Newman truly changes the ceiling for UJ because the ceiling for them is national champion. And that was going to be the case no matter who is a quarterback for the simple reason that is that they're going to have what may be an all-time defense with just a stellar mixture of talent, depth, and experience as they have so many underclassmen that are contributors that played last year on one of the nation's top defenses. So the success of the UJ football season was always going to be a function of how well the defense played. And you had to consider that even if they had a below-average offense, an offense that averaged you know, 20, 21 points a game, they were going to allow 14 to 12 points a game and still be able to struggle through a lot of the season. But, you know, are you going to stop a team like Alabama that's going to have an elite offense with even an elite defense? The answer is probably no. Alabama's going to score 25, 28 points, and if you have a subpar offense, you're not going to be able to match. So the ceiling is probably the same, but what's changed for you, Jay, is that the likelihood of reaching that ceiling is probably less. And the simple truth is that between Newman, Mathis, and Daniels, 
the chances of getting a good quarterback play with all three of them there was very high. So now you've taken out the most experienced and productive of the three, and the likelihood drops. doesn't mean that it can't happen. doesn't mean that JT Daniels can't step in and be an all-SEC quarterback or that Dewan Mathis couldn't. But with Newman, you had much more of a sure thing where you knew at worst he was going to be an above-average quarterback, and if he hit what we thought was a ceiling, he might be a Heisman Trophy contender. And he was, I think, one of the top five candidates as far as odds to win the Heisman Trophy. So you had that as a you had that as the you know threshold for what your offense could be. So when you take him out of the equation, yes, UJ should still be a national title contender. Yes, UJ should still be improved on offense just because of I think some of the changes they're making and some of the additions they made at receiver, and you still have good running backs and all those things. But I would say that the likelihood of hitting your ceiling has dropped, and there's a greater chance that you have a slip-up that makes you go 8-2 and two, instead of having a dominant 9-1 season where maybe your only game is dropping one to Bama and Tuscaloosa early in the year. So those are my thoughts on the Jamie Newman transfer. Overall, it doesn't torpedo UJ's season. It's disappointing. He was probably the safest option at quarterback. But with UJ having stocked their quarterback room the way they had, this is exactly what they are preparing for. What if Jamie Newman went out and tore his ACL in the first game? They're in the same situation. And this is exactly what Kirby Smart was preparing for. He was never going to have another year where he was not set with a solid backup plan at quarterback. He was always going to have two or three in the wings so that they would not have that gap that they had previously in the last few years of the Mark Richt area where you have guys transferring in from Virginia to take the quarterback spot because you didn't have the next guy in line. So I still think that UGA is in a great position to be an SEC East champion, playing the SEC championship, and maybe even win it, with the hope being that one of these two young quarterbacks can develop and really get to the point where that offense is humming by the time they reach the SEC championship in December. So with that said, I wanted to take a second to shift over to one of my favorite things, which is the Heisman Trophy. And this is something I'm very passionate about. I've been covering the Heisman Trophy since I was in high school. I'm making predictions. Uh, it's one of the things that I feel like I do really well. And I made my Heisman Trophy list, my you know my, my projections and my list of the top candidates, prior to some of the news about people like Jamar Chase opting out, as well as prior to the Big Ten's cancellation of the season. So my list includes some people that are no longer part of college football, but I decided to air the list in full because I feel like it paints a more full picture of the entire college football landscape to include those people. And yes, Jamar Chase is on this list. Justin Fields is on this list. Shocker. But um, there's also the chance the Big Ten could come back with this weird plan they're talking about. So with that said, here's my Heisman Trophy preview for the 2020 season. Today we're going to be looking at the favorites for this year's Heisman Trophy, and we narrowed down our idea of favorites based on a few specific criteria. Um, the first thing we're looking at, we're trying to decide whether or not someone is actually a favorite for the trophy, is production. So coming in from their previous season, do they have a high level of production? So we're talking passing yards, touchdowns, rushing yards, even interceptions or sacks if it's a defensive player. But there has to be some kind of elite production to justify this player as one of the top players in college football. The second thing we look at is hype. Now, hype can be generated during a season by a really spectacular performance. For example, the hype for Johnny Manziel's Heisman campaign started with that insane game he put on against Alabama his freshman year. So another example would be the touchdown pass RG3 threw against Oklahoma 
in the waning seconds of that game to allow Baylor to upset Oklahoma. Those kind of plays were in-season moments that generated hype for a specific candidate. But also, it can be generated prior to the season starting. When you have a really good player on a really good team, someone like a Trevor Lawrence, a Justin Fields, previously guys like Baker Mayfield, Tua Tungavailoa, these guys were already high-level players on elite teams, so they came in with a certain amount of hype simply built into the position they were in as one of the best players on a good team. And that brings in the last really important criteria, which is you have to be on a team that is competitive or at least a team that we expect to be competitive. Obviously, you never know how the season's going to play out, but someone coming out on an eight-win team is going to have a lot harder time winning the Heisman than someone coming off a team that made the college football playoff. So, again, those three things together are production, hype, and team success. So, if you have a favorite that doesn't make this list of favorites that we composed, it's because they fail to meet at least one of those criteria. So, with that said, here are the players we feel best meet this criteria, the ones most likely to be Heisman finalists for the 2020 season. Now, listen to me when I say carefully that these are in no particular order. But the first candidate we'll talk about is Trevor Lawrence, the junior quarterback for Clemson. So Trevor's 2019 stats included 3,665 passing yards, 36 touchdowns, eight interceptions, a 66% completion percentage, and a 166.7 rating. And Lawrence also rushed for 563 yards and nine touchdowns, which is a part of his game that is probably really overlooked. By comparison, he ran for more yards last year than Justin Fields. Lawrence struggled with turnovers early in 2019, but he definitely recovered. He went on to make the All-ACC team. He finished seventh in Heisman voting, and he helped Clemson reach their fourth national championship game in the last five years. So coming into his junior year, he has absolutely sky-high expectations, both for his team and for himself personally, because he is widely regarded as one of those rare can't-miss quarterback prospects. So People are comparing him to somebody like a Peyton Manning or an Andrew Luck, who were two of the lowest-risk quarterback prospects in recent memory. Lawrence enters the year with the expectations of him being one of the top two players taken in the draft and him being the savior of whatever franchise he goes to. You've heard about people talking about teams like the Jaguars tanking for Trevor, which is why they won't sign a veteran quarterback like Cam Newton. But either way, Clemson seems destined for another run at the college football playoff, and the question is whether Trevor Lawrence will be able to duplicate his 2019 production with the loss of both of his leading receivers, with T. Higgins going to the NFL and Justin Ross having a freak injury that's going to cost him this season and maybe his career. So can Lawrence duplicate the kind of production to go with the success that Clemson's expected to have? If so, he's probably one of the two runaway favorites for this year's Heisman Trophy. The other runaway favorite for the Heisman Trophy is obviously the person that finished third last year, and that's Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. So Fields is also in a heated competition with Lawrence to be the first quarterback taken in the 2021 NFL Draft. And the 2019 statistics are 3,273 yards, 41 touchdowns, three interceptions, and he finished the regular season in the Big Ten Championship game with 40 touchdowns and one interception, which is insane. He completed 67.2% of his passes for a 181.4 quarterback rating, and he also rushed for 484 yards and 10 touchdowns. So you're talking about a season where Fields put up 51 total touchdowns. So he easily lived up to his five-star billing in his first year with the Buckeyes, 
much to the chagrin of Georgia fans who watched Jake Fromm struggle through probably the least productive season of his career and watched Justin Fields lead his team to the college football playoff. He finished fourth nationally in passer rating and third in touchdowns. And late in the year, he kind of got slowed down with an ankle injury that didn't allow him to run the way he was able to earlier in the year. But he still earned Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. He was a second-team All-American by most publications. And he finished, as I said earlier, third in the Heisman voting. So with Ohio State returning what's going to be another loaded roster, there's little reason to believe that Fields won't duplicate his stellar sophomore season as for one of the national title favorites, NBA Heisman Trophy finalist, or even a Heisman winner for 2020. The next player on our list is yet another junior, running back Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State. So Hubbard came into 2019 as a relative unknown, uh, had about 700 or so rushing yards as a redshirt freshman at Oklahoma State, and then he burst on the scene with this monster redshirt sophomore year that included unanimous All-American honors and a selection as the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. So he was actually the nation's leading rusher, but He's going to need for Oklahoma State to remain at least around the fringes of the top 20 to help his Heisman case because he finished eighth last year in Heisman voting, trailing two other running backs in Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Domitz, whose teams finished with double-digit wins. So Chuba Hubbard put up 2,094 rushing yards, 21 touchdowns on 6.4 yards per carry, and also caught 23 passes for 198 yards. And again, that was good enough for him to finish eighth in the Heisman voting. So while Chuba Hubbard may put up yet another monster year, he may even hit another 2,000-yard season, if Oklahoma State is not at least competing for the Big 12 championship, he'll be a Heisman finalist, but he may not be any closer to winning the award than he was in 2019. The next entry on our list is another running back, and that is Travis Etienne, a senior from Clemson. Etienne finished last year with 1,616 rushing yards, 19 touchdowns on 7.8 yards per carry. He was absolutely a big play machine. And he also added 37 catches for 432 yards and four touchdowns. So last year was a second of back-to-back 1,600-yard seasons for Etienne. And he surprised a lot of people by electing to return for a senior year, having already won a national championship, uh, been an All-American in 2018, won ACC Player of the Year in back-to-back seasons, and, set, and having set the conference record for touchdowns and total points, it just didn't seem like Etienne had a lot to prove in coming back. And barring injury, he's a virtual lock to be an All-American again, and he will likely be a selection in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. But by choosing to come back, he also gives himself an opportunity to win a Heisman Trophy. Now, it's always difficult for running backs to win Heisman Trophies, and it's even more difficult when they play on teams with elite quarterbacks, as he does. So there aren't a lot of scenarios I can see where ETN actually wins trophy. But if he puts together another one of his 1,600 yards, 20 touchdown seasons, it's very easy to see him being named a finalist for the first time in his career. The last on our list of Heisman Trophy favorites is Jamar Chase from LSU. So last year, Chase was the best receiver on arguably the best offense in college football history. And he won the Blitnikoff Award and a national title during his sophomore year. But you really have to go back and watch because Chase's body count included people like Trayvon Diggs, C.J. Henderson, A.J. Terrell, some of the best cornerbacks in college football. And he just absolutely obliterated some of these guys in one-on-one matchups. When you watch LSU games, you'll notice that the best corner for every team 
didn't line up on Justin Jefferson. They always lined up on Jamar Chase, which tells you what other teams thought of him. And if he had been eligible for the 2020 draft, he's probably the first receiver off the board. Now, the question for Chase is, with the loss of a record-setting quarterback in Joe Burrow and one of the best offensive minds in the game in Joe Brady, will he be able to duplicate one of the most dominant receiving years in recent memory? And furthermore, even if he does, can a receiver actually win the Heisman? The last receiver to win the Heisman was Desmond Howard back in the early 90s. And since it's a quarterback game now, you just don't see receivers get a lot of serious consideration. They're very rarely even finalists. So while it's not very likely that Jamar Chase actually wins the award, if he puts together a year like he did last season, it's not hard to see him being one of the finalists for the 2020 Heisman Trophy. So those are our favorites, and I know some of you are saying, okay, so you just told me that the two running backs and the receiver probably have very little chance of actually winning the award, so then why are they favorites? And the reason that they are favorites goes back to our three criteria. They have the best mixture of 2019 production, 2020 hype, and likely team success that are the necessary components that typically vault people into Heisman contention. So if you were to give me odds on who's going to be the Heisman finalist for this year, I would take odds on any of those five players that we just said. Now let's bridge from our favorites over to our dark horse candidates. So these are what I like to call the I told you so candidates. They aren't favorites, but if one of them makes a real run at the Heisman, you won't be able to say, hey man, I told you to look out for that dude. So the players on this tier have the ability to win the Heisman, but they are missing one of the three criteria that we mentioned earlier. The first is running back Najee Harris from Alabama. So Harris really came on at the end of 2019, especially with his uh, receiving ability. But with Alabama's committee approach at tailback, is he going to have the kind of production he needs to match workhorse backs like Travis Etienne and Chuba Hubbard? So he's got the hype. He's got the team. But the question is, will we have the success? Can he put together a 1,600 to 2,000-yard season? While he's capable of it, will Alabama's structure on offense even allow him to do so? Because barring somewhere between 1,600 and 2,000 rushing yards, Harris is highly unlikely to be a Heisman finalist. The next is the perpetually hyped Sam Ellinger, senior quarterback at Texas. So Ellinger actually had a really strong junior season, 3,663 passing yards and 32 touchdowns, but it was really kind of overshadowed by a pretty disappointing 8-5 and five season for the Longhorns. So if Texas returns to the top 10, you can expect the Sam Ellinger Heisman train to pick up a lot of steam. Another quarterback to add to that list is Ian Book, the quarterback from Notre Dame. So Book threw for 34 touchdowns last year and actually rushed for 546 yards. He was the second leading rusher for the Irish. And the Irish had their third straight season with double-digit wins and finished in the top 12 again. So another push to the college football playoff could be enough to help vault him in a serious Heisman contention. As of right now, Book has the production and the team's success, but there just isn't a lot of buzz surrounding him. So he's going to need a big moment of one of Notre Dame's showcase games to push him to the forefront of Heisman voters' minds. Yet another quarterback to add to our list is Mac Jones from Alabama. So in his three starts replaced with Tua Tungavailoa, Jones completed 68.4% of his passes through 10 touchdowns to only two interceptions and averaged 312 yards per game. For the season, when you include all of his other garbage time reps, he threw for over 1,500 yards. So... Two of his three starts came against top 15 opponents in Michigan and Auburn, and he had monster games in both of those contests. So if he can even approximate Tua Tungavaloa's production on what's going to be another loaded Alabama offense, 
he could become a legit Heisman contender. The only thing lacking for him is to have an entire season of the kind of production he showed in glimpses during last year. A few other players that may not be Heisman finalists but are definitely worth watching and could maybe even work their way into being dark horse candidates. Sam Howell, sophomore quarterback from UNC. Spencer Rattler, who's projected as a starting quarterback for Oklahoma because, well, he's a starting quarterback for Oklahoma and we've seen how that works out. Derek King, who transferred from Houston to Miami to hopefully solve their woes on offense. Bo Nix, quarterback from Auburn. Kellen Mond, the quarterback from Texas A&M. Adrian Martinez, the quarterback from Nebraska. Keaton Slovis, the quarterback for USC. And Kyle Trask, the quarterback from Florida. These are all players worth keeping your eye on as the season progresses. Now, what's impossible to predict is who the random Heisman Trophy candidates will be that pop up this year. Because for every season in the last 20 years, you have some random player that bursts on the map out of nowhere and either wins the trophy or competes for it. So last year, you had Joe Burrow, who came out of nowhere to win by a whopping margin, one of the biggest in Heisman history. 2017, Bryce Love out of Stanford was an unknown after playing behind Christian McCaffrey. In 2016, D.D. Westbrook was a surprise finalist. In 2015, Christian McCaffrey came out of nowhere as a sophomore to be a finalist. In 2013, Jameis Winston came out of nowhere to win as a redshirt freshman for FSU. Johnny Manziel won in 2012 as a nobody out of Texas A&M. Cam Newton was a surprise winner from Auburn in 2010. And then all the way back to 2009, you had a guy like Toby Gearhart from Stanford who was a surprise runner-up in one of the closest Heisman races in recent history. So, there will be one of those players this year. We don't know who it is. Tell us who you think it could be. That's it for today. I'm Dave Bethay for the Title Run Podcast. Thank you for listening.